Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's August 25th, 1967. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Arya, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. It was on this day that the Beatles and other celebrity attendees travelled to a transcendental meditation workshop that would change their lives in the spiritual mecca of Bangor, Wales. It was the first time, apparently, for several years that the Beatles had travelled without their manager, Brian Epstein, and they hadn't thought to bring any money, (laughs) so they just turned up at the train station. John Lennon later remarked that it was like going somewhere without your trousers on, which I think is pretty fair. It just is a weird thing to just turn up and be like, oh, wait, yes, sorry, we did have civilian lives prior to this whole massive fame thing. And Cynthia Lennon, I think it was, got confused for a fangirl and not allowed on the train. Yeah, it was actually kind of another incident in their fraying marriage. John Lennon apparently got out of the taxi and just left with the others and left Cynthia carrying his luggage. And then she was held back by a policeman who said, you know, sorry, love, got to keep the fans back. And by the time she managed to explain the situation, the train had already gone. When she arrived six hours later, John Lennon was like, "Mm, you should have moved faster. Anyway, (laughs) so they were going to attend this workshop by the Maharishi, who was a famous guru who had pioneered this technique of transcendental meditation which to me basically sounds like normal meditation but you repeat a mantra to yourself his thing was that you do twice daily 20 minute meditations which actually now doesn't seem remotely radical for sort of rock stars to endorse does it it's a rock star cliche but i suppose it was a rock star cliche because the beatles did it in 1967 and apparently that that business of the fact that it was quite simple was part of its appeal to a few of the members of the Beatles. I think that George Harrison was particularly into it. He'd already started his exploration of Indian culture and Indian music. And I think that that led him into an interest in spirituality that then kind of spread to John and then the rest of the band. But I think that the lesser enthusiastic band members could kind of get into the simplicity side of the spiritual business of transcendental meditation, because you didn't really have to do it for for very long. You just had to do the odd 20-minute bit of um, <laughs> mantra recital and that was uh, that was job done. Yeah, I mean, the the Maharishi, who was born Mahesh Prasad Varma, you know, he was a very good advocate of his own technique. He was a real showman. He had an interesting background as well. He'd studied physics at university and then become a disciple of a famous guru and then a guru himself. And he travelled around the world starting in the late 50s and he actually got quite a lot of media attention. He was called the giggling guru because he would laugh a lot during interviews. But what I found interesting is that Paul McCartney later said that the Beatles had seen him on TV when they were still teenagers, uh, that, that he was a familiar figure in the culture. It wasn't that they just came across him. But then, so what happened then in 1966, the, the 
year before this was that George Harrison's wife, Patty, had become really interested in Indian spirituality when the two of them went to Mumbai, where George had been studying the sitar, and she had gone to see the Maharishi lecture in London. And then when he came back the following year, she asked George to come along, and he brought John and Paul and Jane Asher, who Paul was going out with at the time. Um, and what I found funny is that Ringo did not go because his wife Maureen had just given birth. So he ended up coming home to an answer phone full of excited messages telling him, we're all going to Wales tomorrow for 10 days to this Transcendental Meditation workshop. And it's kind of a <laughs> kind of an omen as well, because Ringo would continually be the least enthusiastic Beatle. <laughs> and it wasn't just uh, Ringo who must have got uh, excitable messages on his answer phone, because apparently they also brought with them Mick Jagger, Marianne Faithful, Cilla Black... Um, <laughs> And Just a bunch of other it so cool types. I know that Scylla Black knew them from the Cavern Club and everything, but the idea of Scylla Black <laughs> being at a transcendental meditation. <laughs> We're going to have a Laura Laura lifting. It's pretty good. What's your name? Where do you come from? And what's your spiritual plane? <laughs> but also as a result of all those celebs being there, of course, the press were there too. They literally just got the same train with the Beatles to Bangor and you know this became a running I mean like nowadays you know this would be social media wouldn't it It would be trending all the time what the Beatles up to on the train how's their meditation going right I mean then obviously you weren't in a world of 24-hour <laughs> news but even so this was in the papers the next morning so they couldn't really chill out and meditate properly because they decided within 24 hours of being there or oh, we should probably do a press conference about this um, and I think it was that yeah, that wow. led them to say the next day um, oh we're giving up LSD we're giving up drugs There'd been this controversy after Sergeant Pepper had come out and Paul had said that he'd taken LSD. And this was an opportunity to be responsible adults and say to Britain's children and teenagers, don't do drugs, kids, do meditation instead. Apparently it wasn't because of the Maharishi that they announced that they'd quit LSD, even though it does line up with his uh, thinking on drugs. And it coincided unhappily with the fact that the very next day their manager Brian Epstein died of a drug overdose back in his apartment in London and they cut their time short to in in the beginning they were presumably going to go and pay their respects but they decided against because they thought that they didn't want to create a media circus around his funeral and so instead they stayed away but it led to them wrapping up their time with the Maharishi quite quickly. Yeah, but they had already arranged to travel to India to his retreat in Rishikesh, which they did the following February. Again, other celebrity attendees also there, Donovan and Mia Farrow, and Mia Farrow's huh. sister Prudence, who is the subject of the song Dear Prudence, which they wrote about their huh. time there. Yeah, you're sounding very jolly Didn't about that. that. The other song they were inspired to write about from their time with Mia Farrow and the Maharishi was about. The Maharishi fondling Mia Farrow unconsentingly um, and it was as a result of that rumour I suppose I should still call it although Mia Farrow still maintains that is what happened um, that the Beatles then disowned eventually their association with the Maharishi on the 15th of June 1968 so only a year later they said it was a public mistake that they'd been involved with the Maharishi because it had been reported that he'd made sexual advances towards Mia Farrow it was something that George Harrison, though, never really felt comfortable with. He funded the Natural Law Party and Transcendental Meditation for the rest of his life. You can see, again, the difference of personalities in the Beatles. You know, one of the things that would ultimately lead to their breakup is that they start to have these very divergent views on things. And again, you know, the four of them went out to India and Ringo was the first one to go home. Uh, George <laughs> described their arrival thusly. 
John came and Paul came after him and then Richard followed with 15 Sherpas carrying Heinz baked beans. (laughs) So he decided the transcendental lifestyle wasn't Mm. really for him and then McCartney left and so Harrison and Lennon were were left there and this was when these allegations surfaced about the Maharishi supposedly, you know, fondling his female followers. John Lennon said that he was the one who had to confront him. George Harrison was kind of reluctant to to do it. And so Lennon was the one who ended up making this stand and had quite an unpleasant sort of face-off with the Maharishi. And then they returned to England. I think that this meeting with the Maharishi in Wales, the importance of it can't really be overstated because it led to the whole Beatles in India thing that became one of their most iconic mm. moments and then you know kind of later on would contribute to the dissolution of the band and they're still practicing it now I mean obviously only two of them are still alive and as you've said Ringo isn't so what I mean is Paul is still practicing this a bit now so in interviews <laughs> when he's asked is he still into this kind of stuff I mean it's a bit watered down the version of it that he does it's all a bit California like everything Paul McCartney these days but he does he says that he <laughs> regularly practices yoga with a group of friends including Alec Baldwin that he calls the yoga boys <laughs> can any of them do any form of spiritualism without there being other celebrities there. <laughs> There's also a theme park element to this story which immediately grabbed my attention, as of course it would. Yogic flying, <laughs> the, the ride. Basically, yes. I was fascinated to find out that before the Maharishi died, he was in talks with the Canadian illusionist Doug Henning, who was one of his followers, uh, who was the guy who created like stage magic for Michael Jackson and Earth, Wind and Fire and stuff in the 80s. And Doug Henning right. wanted to create and went as far as to file papers for and bought land to facilitate the world's first Vedic amusement park, Vedaland. You'd get a lot of disappointed Star Wars fans (laughs) turning up there. (laughs) Guests will enjoy illusions such as the world's only levitating building, a 42-ton structure that floats six foot over a lake, a magic flying chariot ride, and, and this is where I think Henning reveals his true colours, Magical restaurants, including the world's longest soda fountain bar. Now, I can't imagine the Maharishi was really behind that one. (laughs) Whoever was underwriting this whole enterprise evidently hadn't renounced LSD as the Beatles had. (laughs) Tomorrow. All kids began crying out for shaped cakes that looked like a swimming pool or a train. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.